Hello, and welcome to the Summit Church Podcast. Our messages are designed to help teach and equip you on your journey to lead people to follow Christ. We hope that this message will inspire and encourage you, no matter where you are on your journey towards Christ. If you have questions, want to talk, or want to learn more about Summit, visit us at summitniles.com. Thanks for listening. If you take your Bibles with me this morning and turn, first of all, to the New Testament book of Jude. Jude, we're going to be looking at verses 14 and 15. Uh, Mark that spot, find Hebrews 11, go back a couple of uh, books to Hebrews 11. You can mark that spot, and then Genesis chapter 5, that's where we're actually going to start reading uh, Scripture this morning. While you're finding that, let me say first, I'm grateful for all of the graduates, um, the hard work that they've put in, the potential, uh, the, the, the gifts that are here. I, I believe that these lives on fire for Jesus can change the world. And so I'm excited about our future, grateful for them, thankful for their parents, um, the extended family who's has helped them along this way. And so that's, that's you, and I'm, I'm grateful. None, <clears throat> none of those uh, kids were alive when I first got here. Um, 30 years ago, but I've watched uh, many of them. Some are new to Summit Church, but I've watched many of them grow up and um, excited about God's potential, um, the gifts, and the calling on their life. I also want to take a moment as we start this morning just simply to uh, gather um, our hearts for prayer. Um, many of you know this uh, past Saturday. Um, Liam Morse, seven-month-old son of Caleb and Jennifer Morse, passed away. Uh, he died, and um, the family is dealing with that grief um, since yesterday morning, and um, I want to take a moment and pray for them. And it reminds me that uh, there are, are some of you who have experienced similar kind of pain, the loss of a child. There are some of you who have pain of um, uh, loved ones, um, maybe a spouse that has passed on or close relatives. We all, our lives are touched uh, with death. Death is, is one of those final um, enemies of, of, of people, um, and yet the fact that we know Christ rose from the dead, um, even as He rose from the dead, we too have life. Uh, scripture talks about that. Even though we die like everyone else, um, we don't really die at all because we have eternal life in Christ. And there's victory for, for a believer. That's the hope, the promise, the, the truth of, of, of how we live on this earth. But you also know that there's, we experience pain. And, and you know, the thing I'm well aware of is that pain is pain. It doesn't matter the source. And so sometimes there's sickness, there's disease, there's loss of many different kinds. And this morning, I want to take just a moment to pray for, for all of us. Um, would you join me? Lord, in these moments, we are pausing to to approach the throne of grace 
And we are coming because you've invited us to come. You've said, cast our cares on you because you care for us. Lord, there are burdens in this life that are too much for us to bear alone. But there's nothing in this world, God, that that you cannot help us bear up under. And so, this morning, Lord, I pray specifically for Caleb and for Jen. I pray, God, that you would sustain this father and this mother, that you give them grace for their broken hearts. Thank you for Liam and the fact that you have bid the children come unto you. And, and we know that, Lord, this morning, he is, he is fine in, in the arms of Christ, but his mom and dad are not fine. And I pray, God, that you would sustain them, be with grandmas and grandpas and great-grandpas and great-grandmas and all the extended family. That, oh, Lord, would you... Set your protection over them, um, your healing grace. Lord, sitting here this morning are also people who are identifying a point of pain. Maybe it's a physical loss. Maybe it's the loss of health. Maybe it's the loss of relationship. Maybe it's loss of a, a spouse. Lord, there are many things that in this world, um, Satan would try to undo us with. But God, we will acknowledge today that we can stand um, because we know you're upholding us. You, you are near to the brokenhearted. Those who are, in crushed in, who are crushed in spirit, oh God, you sustain So I pray your healing grace, your tender mercy, your eternal and divine compassion would be on every hurting heart today. And that your mercy, your goodness and mercy would follow us every day of our life. We acknowledge you, invite you into the situation. We trust you, and we give you praise. And we pray in the name of Jesus who intercedes on our behalf. Glory to you, Lord. Peace to your children. We pray in your mighty name. Amen. Today, we're discovering how to live a life that pleases God. And as a biblical example of that, I want to introduce you to a man named Enoch. Enoch is called the seventh from Adam to distinguish him from the other Enoch in the line of Cain, who was the third from Adam. Um, not much is said about Enoch in, in Scripture. There are uh, three places we're going to look at this morning. But we know one thing. <laughs> he walked with God. Enoch walked with God. Both Enoch and Noah Scripture says they walked with God. And also, Enoch was one of two men who walked the face of the earth who never experienced death. They never walked through death's door. 
Enoch and Elijah. <laughs> they were born, but they, they never died. Um, there's, there's, a, there's an old um, play of, it's entitled, Dancing to the Tune of Death's Violin. And on the scene is, is the, the, the one that is playing death's violin, and everyone, when that name, when that tune calls your name, you, you walk through death's door. And so, the, as the play goes on, there's the picture of, of, of the dear saint of God who, who when, when the violin begins to play, and she's reminiscing about her life, and she walks through death's door, not not at all afraid of dying because she understands eternal life. There's, there's the robber and the thief who approaches death's door, but he knows that indeed he, he is guilty, and he goes kicking and fighting, resisting all of that. But Scripture says that it is appointed a, a, to every man a, a time to die. Enoch and Elijah are the two exceptions to that. Scripture says that, um, that there's no, no uh, they did not experience death. Um, Enoch lived on this earth, around, he lived 365 years. He was known as a man who pleased God. He prophesied for God. His name isn't probably a household name. Uh, I don't know many Enochs, right? Um, probably not a popular name on the, the top 10 list of what to name your children. But what is amazing is he made the hall of faith. Hebrews 11 is, is what we often refer to as the, as the hall of faith. By faith, Abraham. By faith, you know, Enoch. By faith, Noah. They lived by faith. He made the hall of faith as a man who pleased God. And, and in fact, Enoch knew this. He knew that without faith, it was impossible to please God. So we're going to talk about how to live to please God. Here's two things I want you to keep in mind this morning. It is possible to please God. It is possible. You say, well, listen, how could I ever, how could I ever please God? You can please God. You say, well, this, this, is, this whole thing, you know, it just kind of scares me because how in the world is little old me going to please God? You can please God. And we're going to talk about that. How, how do you please God? But now watch this. It is impossible to please God without faith. So you can please God, but it is impossible without faith. I want you to see this in Genesis chapter 5. Move with me to Genesis 5. Notice verse 18. When Jared had lived, we're going we're gonna to experience, um, we're going to understand, we're going to be introduced to Enoch. When Jared had lived 162 years, he, began, he became the father of Enoch. After he became the father of Enoch, Jared lived 800 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Jared lived a total of 900 and 62 good old ripe years right there. And then he died. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he became the father of Methuselah. After he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked faithfully with God 300 years. He had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Enoch lived a total of 365 years. Enoch walked faithfully with God then he was no more, because God took him away. When Methuselah, this is his son, had lived 187 years, he became the father of Lamech. After he became the father of Lamech, Methuselah lived 782 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Methuselah lived a total of 969 years. 
and then he died. Now I want you to notice the text of Hebrews, chapter 11, verse 5. We see Enoch, his name mentioned again by faith. Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he wards those who earnestly seek him. And now I want to draw your attention to one final passage in Jude. Jude, verse 14. Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about them. See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone and to convict all of them of all the ungodly acts they have committed in their ungodliness and of all the defiant words ungodly sinners have spoken against him. From these texts, we're going to understand, uh, get principles, get some handles, helping us understand how to please God, living to please God. The first one from Genesis 5, Enoch walked with God. So you can please God. Um, it says he pleased God. He, he walked with God. Now, Enoch had, a, had one claim to fame. It wasn't because he slew the giant, you know, like, like David. It wasn't because he parted the Red Sea like Moses. It wasn't because he wrestled an angel like Jabin. It isn't because he got swallowed up by a great fish like Jonah. It, it, he never walked on water like Jesus. In fact, there's no record of Enoch writing a single verse of Scripture. The only thing that we're told here of substance about this man is what we read in Genesis 5, verse 24, Enoch walked with God. It's descriptive. Enoch walked with God. But I'll just tell you, those four words put him in the hall of faith. Enoch walked with God. David was a man after God's own heart. Abraham, a friend of God. Elijah, a man of God. Enoch walked with God. Walked with God and Scripture tells us he, he began this journey after the birth of his first child. When he saw that baby in his arms, bone of his bone, flesh of his flesh, he took his step, his first step of following God. He followed God. By the way, that's not a bad time to do that. Um, having a baby will, will, uh, will cause that. He's, oh, what am I getting into, right? From that day, his heart never grew cold. He never forgot or neglected God, as those children grew, Enoch's faith also grew. Which I think also is true of, of, of parenting. As, as our children continue to grow and, and mature, some of the greatest lessons of life I've, I've learned, um, particularly understanding uh, God as Father, I have learned from the perspective of attempting to be an earthly father. So his faith grew. Now, I'm reminded of, of a verse in Scripture that says in Amos chapter 3, verse 3, do two walk together unless they have agreed to do so? See, Enoch agreed, I'm going to walk with God. He chose to walk with God. A walk with God begins with a willingness to walk with God. How do you please God? You walk with Him. How do you do that? You start with a willingness. God, I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to follow you. You lead me. I'll follow he chose to believe in God. He believed who God, uh, he, he believed that God existed. He, 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 he worshiped God, but he also walked with God. The Bible, the, see, the Bible never separates faith from obedience. He believed in God, but he walked with God. 
faith and obedience. So what does it mean to, to walk with God? G. Campbell Morgan gave this definition when he said this. Walking with God means that we're going in the same direction as God. Someone else has said this. Civilized man has learned how to fly, but he's lost the art of walking with God. At age 65, he had a son, Methuselah. Enoch, Enoch began his journey of walking with God. He continued that journey. Scripture says he walked with God for 300 years. Now, I don't know about you, but a person who's walked with God for 300 years, that's the person I want standing up Sunday night sharing their testimony. All right? Can you imagine that? I've walked with God for 300 years. My grandmother, when, when, when she was um, uh, you know, older, I, I remember the stories, and, and she and some of her friends would, would, would share their testimonies, and they'd tell some of the stories of, of, of you know, long ago. And as kids, um, it actually grabbed our attention. I think, I think it would be a mistake, um, Christians, who've walked with God for some time, to think that the younger generation isn't interested or, or, or doesn't care about or can't learn from, from your experience and your testimony. I think you should be more ready to tell that story. I think, I think you should be more willing to invest that in others. That story is important. And uh, one of the things that we, we do back in Summit Kids is we bring... Um, mature Christians in to talk to the kids. And I'll tell you what, it does something for those who are sharing their faith. It does something for those kids. They hang on those words. He walked with God for 300 years. The old song we used to sing said it this way, when we walk with the Lord in the light of His Word, the glory that He sheds on our way, while we do His good will, He abides with us still when we learn to trust and obey. 300 years. Paul actually wrote in Romans 16, verse 26, about obedience and faith. You see, faith and obedience are not disconnected. Watch this, Romans 16. But now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God, watch this, so that all the Gentiles might come to the obedience that comes from faith. They're together. Enoch had great fellowship with God through faith. He walked with God. Our fellowship with God, our position of, of, of being declared righteous, um, to, to being a, a saint of God, is uh, that, that identity is, is when we, when, when we uh, admit and recognize that we're sinners and we pour out our, our, our confession and our repentance toward God and, and we put our faith in Christ, who He is and what He has done. Colossians 2, 6 says, So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in Him, rooted, built up in Him, strengthened in the faith, as you were taught, overflowing with thanksgiveness. So that's this walking on. He's walked with God. Enoch led a happy, holy, honorable life. He was confident, content, content and, and conscientious. You say, well, you might be tempted today to say, well, I mean, yeah, I mean, He's kind of early in, in, the, in, the, in the whole Bible scene. I mean, what could possibly have been wrong by the time Enoch came along? Um, maybe, the, you know, that guy, he had an easy life. Enoch had it made. He was well-situated in life. But I want you to check this out. What we know about Enoch was that he was a public man. He was a notable man. He, he was looked up to as one of the fathers of his age, a patriarch in those days. 
He, he was, a patriarch was a marked man. He was loaded with responsibility. The ancient custom was that the head of the family, a prophet, priest, a king of the household, he was, he was the leader. You've heard me say it many times. It's a leader, leadership principle that the higher the monkey goes up the pole, the easier it is to get a shot at his rear end, right? And so what happens is, here, you say, well, you know, he was probably, you know, had some, some little hut someplace in some quiet little village and no big deal. He was, folks, he was out front. He was a leader. He was, he was prominent in his day. No doubt he had his share of trials. He bore the brunt of opposition from the powerful uh, uh, other people in, in the community, the ungodly. They opposed the way of his godliness. Someone might say, well, you know, I, 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 could, I could walk with God in a, in a world, you know, if, if, you know, put me in the Garden of Eden. I'd, I'd like to try life that way. Yeah, wouldn't we all? You know that this world, you were never created to live in a world like we're living in right now, right? The fall is a big mess up. It, that, that whole thing has set in, in motion problems that you and I experience um, that, that are, are the things that we battle day to day. People say, well, I could walk with God if, if, if things were easy, but, you know, uh, folks, I, I'm a, I'm, you say, I'm, I'm a person, I'm kind of like, you know, Enoch. I, people know me, and I know other people, and, and, and how am I going to walk with God uh, other people, I need to identify with other people. I need to follow what the world is saying and other things people are saying. Uh, Enoch walked with God, and it didn't really matter uh, to him what, what other path people wanted him on. He was going to follow God. Enoch, even though he was a distinguished man for his time and he was pull, full of public cares, he, he never lost the sacred course of walking with God through a life of centuries. 300 years. Now, folks, I'm telling you, to walk with God for 300 years is going to take a minute, right? You don't do that um, over 300 years if you haven't invested some time. It took time to do it. It'll take an investment of time. You don't spend time with God because God get, needs to get to know you, by the way. You spend time with God. You see, he already knows you inside, outside, upside, downside, north, south, east, west. He's got all the angles, the reason you need to spend time with God is so you can get to know Him. And the better you know Him, the more you will be like God and you'll walk with Him. And so Enoch, he, he spent time with God. It took a hot minute, right? Sometimes I think that one of the greatest enemies of a Christian soul these days is the hurried up business, the life that we're in. We're so busy that we don't have the minute to walk with God. He walked with God. He pleased God. He realized the divine presence. And this whole idea of walking with God means Enoch was going the way that God was going. Now notice this as well, and I find this in Hebrews 11. Enoch pleased God. Not only did he walk with God, but he pleased God. The Bible says without faith it's impossible to please God. Faith to believe that he is who he is. Faith to live a life of following him. Enoch didn't simply believe things as a matter of creed and, and then put them up on a shelf out of, out of the way as many do. He wasn't merely orthodox in his head. He was orthodox in his heart and his hands. He walked with God. It wasn't merely that he thought about God or speculated about God, or argued about God, could make a defense of God, read about God, talked about God. He walked with God. 
It's a practical part of godliness. In his daily life, he realized that God was with him, and he lived his life that way. And too many times what happens is we pronounce a belief, but it doesn't result in behavior. Too many times we say we believe God, but in the end we believe in ourselves. We pronounce a good line of faith, but we don't produce a good life of faith. Faith is supposed to be substance and evidence. Substance and evidence consistently. By the way, the sum of your life is not the necessarily the high point where the lights are on and you do something of faith in a moment. What it is, and this whole idea of discipleship and maturity of faith, is that your life is the summation of things that you have done over and over and over again, and they have been compiled, and then there's a lasting effect. That's why reading your Bible once a week is a good thing to do. But it is why reading it four or more times a week will change your life. And if you do that week after week for 300 years, what a difference. Faith that can attest to a thing even though it's not being seen. Faith. It it attests to something even though it can't be seen. It, It is invisible and yet can be enjoyed as if it was seen. Now, I should encourage you about Enoch. Enoch pleased God by faith. Do you see that? By faith. So watch this. You and I can please God with faith. I am really glad that the story of Enoch in the Bible is, isn't that, that he, he walked with God and he, he, Enoch pleased God and he had some super gift or talent or ability that he used and that pleased God. Because I don't have some supernatural ability or gift or whatever. I don't feel like I, I would even compare, but he didn't please God because of his, you know, some extraordinary gift or his talents or or by reason of some marvelous achievement or miraculous works, we, we might say, well, th- then that kind of you know, leaves me out. But like Enoch, we can please God by walking in faith. How did he please God? He walked by faith. How did he please God? By walking in faith. You want to please God? Adrian Rogers once said this. He said, if you, if you please God, it doesn't matter who you don't please. If you don't please God, it doesn't matter who you do please. Now, I think this may be part of what James was talking about when, when, when in James he said faith without works is dead. Look, real faith works. It works. Real faith is not something that somebody knows. Real faith is something that somebody shows. Real faith doesn't say, I believe people ought to hear about Jesus Real faith tells people about Jesus. Real faith doesn't say, I believe in giving. Real faith says, I give. Real faith doesn't say, I believe in the Bible. Real faith studies the Bible. Real faith doesn't say, hey, I believe in the church. Real faith says, I'm going to come to church. I'm going to participate in church. I'm going to grow. I'm going to help others grow in church. Hebrews 10. You need to persevere so that when 
you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For in just a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. But, and by my righteousness, one will live by faith. And I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. But we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who, are, who have faith and are saved. The believer draws near to God, continues to demonstrate their faith is genuine. The fake believer draws back to sin, destruction, and death, proving that their profession was false. Someone who's a genuine believer is the one whose life displays an enduring faithfulness to God. They believe, they continue to believe. Walked with God, had faith with God. Now watch this, the last thing. In Jude 14 and verse 15, Enoch witnessed for God. We talk about how, how are we going to live to please God. You walk with God. You please God through faith. Now watch this witness. He spoke truth about what was godly, and he also spoke truth about what was ungodly. Let me just stop long enough there to say this. Many times, I, I think we have erred on the side of talking about what is ungodly. But you know what the best part of Christianity is? All the stuff that's godly. So instead of saying, not this, not this, not that, not this, not the other thing, to say, yes, this, yes, this, here's your freedom in Christ, keep moving, keep going. The, the, the goodness of God, the, the, the grace of God, the mercy of God, the peace of God, the power of God in our lives, yes to all that, yes to all that. And so he began to speak the truth about being godly and yet wasn't afraid to say what was ungodly. You and I struggle with that in this world. There's, there's people that don't want to hear the good news. There's people that, that um, don't want to hear the fact that, you know, the bad news. He believed that God was coming to judge the wicked. You look at that in, in Jude 14 and 15. He, he lived in a very evil age. He was a, in a prominent time when sin was beginning to cover the earth. He said, well, this was only like, you know, a few chapters in and we, we, we come into the the fall, yep, it didn't take long. I mean, it was a number of years. But not very long before the earth was so corrupt that God saw fit to sweep the whole population off the surface of the earth on account of sin. Enoch lived in a day of mockers and despisers. It's clear from his prophecy as recorded in, in Jude that he faced that. Enoch walked with God. He bore witness for God. He couldn't be silent his fire burned within his soul. He, he couldn't be restrained. It, it's clear that he, he, he faced opposition in his life. Uh, murmurers and complainers and people that were going after their own, their own desires, what felt good to them, their, their, their mouths flapping all sorts of words and texts and tweets and Snapchats and emails. Do you know what? The complaining people have always had ways to complain. You know, uh, there's, <laughs> if you want to deliver a negative message, you've been able to do that since in the beginning of time. He had to deal with all of that. People that mocked him for his faith. Yet he was carrying on the great controversy for the truth of God against the wicked lives and licentious tongues of the scoffers of his age. He saw their ungodly lives, and he bore witness against them. It's clear that they spoke against Enoch. It grieved his spirit. He was mourned that they rejected the truth, but he was faithful to the word of God. If you want to live to please God, that's one of the examples of the witness of our lives. 
Enoch lived 65 years, became the father of Methuselah. See that in Genesis 5, verse 21? 65 years old, became the father of Methuselah. Well, my dad, he used to, uh, he used to use that as a phrase. Excuse me. He would say, something is as old as Methuselah. I go, what? Who's Methuselah, and what's that got to do with anything? What's well, old as Methuselah? So I discovered, oh, Methuselah, the oldest man that ever lived, recorded in Scripture, 969 years, as old as Methuselah. Now, what is interesting is, just like Enoch is not one of those names that I would expect on the top ten list, Methuselah doesn't rank right up there either, right? Methuselah. In the Bible, names were very important. Um, maybe in, in some ways more important than they are today. We don't often give a lot of thought to names most of the time. I read a story this past weekend of a, of a robber. Uh, the robber broke into the house thinking no one was home, and, and, and he was surprised. The homeowners were also surprised when he found the homeowners, uh, the frightened homeowners who were watching TV in bed. And um, so he's a robber in the house, and he points the gun at the lady, and he goes, uh, what's your name? And she said, uh, well, my name's Elizabeth. He goes, this is your lucky day, because my mom's name is Elizabeth, and I would never shoot anybody with the name of Elizabeth. Then he looked at the husband. He said, what's your name? The man looked at him. He said, well, my name is Harry, but people call me Elizabeth. (laughs) (laughs) What does your name mean? My name, Daniel, means God is my judge. God is my judge. You know, I'm aware of that. I'm aware of that. Through my life, my mother made that clear to me. So look, buddy boy, you might get by with something that your mom doesn't see. But in your name, just in the, in the mere aspect of your name, you know that God knows. Um, he sees all things. I can tell you that that warning in my life has saved me um, much grief. God is my judge. The name Methuselah literally means when he is dead, it will come. Methuselah. When he is dead, it will be sent, or when he is dead, it will come. What has that name got to do with the whole story of what we're talking about today? Watch this. His name was a prophecy of the flood that was coming to the earth. From the very moment that Methuselah was born, Enoch knew that God's judgment was on its way. When he is dead, it will come. In fact, Enoch knew that as long as Methuselah was alive, the judgment of God would not occur. Scripture records that's exactly what happened. In the moment that Methuselah died, God sent the flood on the earth, and judgment for wickedness was meted out. It's fascinating. Scholars have figured this out in detail, so stay with me. In Genesis chapter 5, verse 25, we're told at the age of 187, Methuselah became the father of Lamech. And then we're told in verse 28 and 29 that when Lamech was 182, he became the father of Noah. 
So now Noah is on the scene. And when you add up 187 and 182, you get 369. So Methuselah was 369 years old when his grandson, Noah, was born. And when did the flood occur? The flood occurred, Scripture says, 600 years, uh, in the 600th year of Noah's life. So add 600 to 369, and you get 969, which is exactly how many years Methuselah lived, according to Genesis 5, verse 23. The very moment that Methuselah drew his last breath, God shut the door of the ark, 600 years after Noah was born, and he sent the flood. Methuselah was God's ticking time bomb of judgment. When he is dead, it will come. You think that's a coincidence? i got to tell you, when it comes to faith, I don't have enough faith to believe that that's coincidence. You know, there's things in Scripture that I don't, I don't have enough faith to live this world without faith in God. When did the flood come? When the oldest man who ever lived, Methuselah, 969 years, died. Is it a coincidence that Methuselah was given the privilege of being the oldest man who ever lived? I think there's something about God's grace in his age. Do you see this? He lived longer than anyone else. When he is gone, the thing will happen. And for 969 years, the longest that any record of man ever living, God waited until he brought judgment. He illustrated how patient, how loving, how long-suffering God is. He gave the world almost a thousand years to repent and get right with him before he sent the flood. You wonder today, why doesn't God come back? I mean, the world is as it is. Why doesn't he just get this all over with, return and set the world straight? Why does God put up with all the sin and the iniquity and the wickedness and the lying and the rebellion and everything that we see in the world today? Why doesn't he do that? Because God is loving and we're in a dispensation of grace where you and I have the opportunity to please God, be a witness, and, and to lead people to follow Christ, to, to, to work in the harvest of the kingdom. By the way, I was reminded this morning, Eric Hopstock and I were talking back in the service. He said, you know this thing about sowing and reaping and harvesting? He says, so much more of our life appears to be in, in sowing and cultivating. We all love the harvest. And thank God for the harvest. He's the Lord of the harvest. Pray ye therefore that you send out harvesters, you know, um, you know, people to harvest in the, in, the, in the harvest field, laborers in the harvest field. But so much of our lives is, is walking with God, being a witness in the world, pleasing God with how we live. Someone has said it this way, it's not because God is asleep, it's not because he's apathetic, it's not because God doesn't hate sin. It's because God is patient and he desires everyone to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth that is exactly what we're told in 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. And now we look at the last part of his life, and I think this gives us some great hope as well. Notice it says that at some point he was not. In, in the 60s and 70s, we learned about the astronauts. In the 80s and 90s, we became acquainted with the cosmonauts. <laughs> now, Enoch was not an astronaut nor a cosmonaut. He was, it was not. It says, all of a sudden, he was not. Because the Lord had taken him away. But one day, they're looking for Enoch, and they can't find him. Where's Enoch? Who knows? He was not. 
Can I say to you, that is a clear picture of everyone who is alive at the rapture. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the trump of the archangel, the voice of God will be caught up in the air to meet the Lord Jesus. It doesn't matter whether you go through the grave or you go through the clouds. Either way, God will take you to be with him if you believe in him. I've told you many stories about my grandma Kate. Oh, she wasn't a perfect woman by any stretch of the imagination. She, she didn't think so. She had all the faults and the foibles of any human being that's ever walked the face of the earth, but I'll tell you what, she walked with God. She had a ready witness. I remember going to the store. We would, she didn't drive, and so if she went to the grocery store, it was because somebody in our family would take her. And so it used to be my mom as we were growing up, and little kids we would go with. Later in life, there were times I would take Grandma to the store by myself, 13 miles into town, to do some of her shopping. I enjoyed those times, and yet there were times where it was like, come on, Grandma, let's go. But she would stop and witness she had some old friends that she would meet here and there, but I always watched when it would come time to, to you know, take her little buggy with stuff and go to the checkout. You know, back in the day, we, we had cashiers and checkout people. We didn't have, you know, um, self-checkout. The people today, you know, you have the option, and I think that's a good option from time to time. There's been times where I was standing, waiting, and, and somebody would say in you know, stores these days, hey, the... the you know, the self-checkout is open. I go, yeah, but I don't work here. You know, anyway. Just, um, it, was, it wasn't biblical. It was just a pet peeve. <laughs> We'd get to, the, get to the cash, and she'd, check, she'd, she'd pick her line, I guess maybe to try to see who, who she could talk to that day. And she'd get there and stuff, and she was watching, boy, she, she'd, she had always carried a purse. I never saw my grandma carry a purse over her shoulder. It was always carried a purse down here, and a black, black purse, simple. And then she would pull it up, and she'd set it on the counter there, and she would open it up, and then she had this little coin purse thing. On one side, there's multiple little snaps on top, and she'd open this one side, and that was her paper money, and then the other side was the coins, and she'd get it out to the, to the right, you know, down to the penny. She'd do all that. And then she would stop and she would look and she would have a word for the cashier. And it's almost, I mean, I've been there with her so many times. It was, a, it was as if they knew it was coming and she was gracious and, and it wouldn't be long, but she would have a word. And there's times I would say, oh, Grandma, can't you just get by with it? You know, get on with it. I, in her life, she took many opportunities to share. Her home was filled. If you walked into her home, the wall, the art was witness. It wasn't just flowers, even though she could use flowers to talk about the greatness of God. But I remember one painting. I've shared this with you before. It was a painting, an artist's rendition of the rapture. It raptured my attention. As a little boy, I'd watch. I looked at that many times, and I'd go and I'd sit and watch, and, and, and I would take it off the, the wall where it had hung low. She had it low where the kids could see it. I suppose she put it, well, she wasn't tall either, but we could see it. I'd take it, and I'd sit sometimes, and I'd look. There was a picture of 
an artist's rendition of what would happen in the rapture, the end of time. And, and there was a picture of in the field. They were out harvesting. Scripture says there'll be two out harvesting the field. One will be taken, one will be left. And sure enough, in this picture, there was one that was out there still cutting the wheat, but one was hands in the air, clothes changed to white, ascending into heaven, waiting to meet the, 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 the Savior in the sky. Another place of that picture, there would be another scene of a cityscape, businessmen downtown, people in a, in a business um, uh, setting, and some would be taken and some would be left. There's an a, a aspect of that picture where it was a schoolhouse. Children, some would be taken, and then there were still some sitting at their desk. There was a gripping scene of, of a mother and a father who were driving along in their car. Their child, infant child, was flying out of their arms. One was taken. They were left. There's a picture of a husband and a wife in their home. Scripture says in that day there'll be one will be sleeping, though two will be sleeping together, but one will be taken and one will be left. And there's a picture of a of a farmhouse where one of the pe- people are being raptured and the other one is left. One of the most haunting that I didn't understand, it took me a while. I, under, I understand it now. Was the picture of a little white church with a steeple cars all around. Some were taken and some were left. That always bothered me. I said, Grandma, how can that be? She goes, oh, pointing me to the scripture. Some will say, oh, Lord, Lord, didn't, didn't we do this in your name? Didn't we drive out demons? Didn't we do all this stuff? She said, I didn't know you. Some will be taken, some will be left. It's not because there's a God who's mean and arbitrary. It's because your name needs to be written in the Lamb's Book of Life. You need to believe in Jesus. All who believe in Jesus, whoever believes in Him shall not perish. And I've seen that so many times. You see, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, the trump of the archangel, the voice of God, will be caught up in the air to meet Lord Jesus. The way Elijah, the way Enoch were taken should give us great com- comfort if you go through the grave or you go through the clouds, those who are dead in Christ will be raised first. By the way, there was a picture of a, of a graveyard. Those who, were died, who died in Christ were raised first. They were going. All the rest remained dead. But you, you do know that the cemeteries of our communities are going to be resurrection central someday. Those who have di- died in Christ will be raised first. And God will take you to be with him if you believe in him. I'm going to ask the team to come. They're going to lead us in our last song. Let me close with this true story. We're learning how to live a life that pleases God, walking with God, putting faith in God, being a witness for God. I read this story this last week. It's true. A little boy named John Todd was born over 200 years ago in Rutland, Vermont, Shortly after his birth, his family moved to a little village called Killingsworth. He was six years old when both of his parents died. 
children had to be adopted out among the relatives and a kind-hearted aunt who lived in North Killingsworth agreed to take John and give him a home. And he lived with her for 15 years. He was six when he went. He lived with her for 15 years and then he went away to study to be a preacher. Now he was middle-aged and his aunt became desperately ill, realized that she was dying. And she wrote John Todd in great distress. She, she wrote her nephew a very sad letter, asking questions like, I know I'm going to die. What is, what is death going to be like? Will it mean the, the end of everything? Will there be life after death? Will I continue to love? Will anyone love me? Here's the letter her minister nephew, John Todd, wrote back. I'm going to read it for you. Dear Auntie, it's now 35 years since I, a little boy of six, was left quite alone in the world. You sent word that you would give me a home and you'd be a kind mother to me. Never forgotten that day. I made a long journey, those 10 miles, to your house in North Killingsworth. I can still recall my disappointment when instead of coming for me yourself, you sent a man named Caesar to come get me. I well remember my tears, the anxiety first getting on that horse and clinging tight to Caesar as I rode off to my new home. Night fell before we finished the journey and it grew dark. I became very lonely. I was afraid. I said to this man, do you think my aunt is going to go to bed before I get there? He said, oh no. No, she'll stay up for you. In fact, he said, when, when we get out of these woods, you can see her candle." It'll be burning in the window. Soon we did ride out into a clearing and there was your candle. I remember you, you were waiting at the door. Put your arms around me. You lifted me down from that horse. You had a big fire burning on the hearth and a hot supper on the table. After supper, you took me to my new room. You heard me say my prayers. You sat beside me until I fell asleep. Now I hope, my dear aunt, you realize why I'm recalling all of this to your memory. Someday soon, my dear aunt, God will send for you. I'm going to take you to a new home. Don't fear the call. Don't fear the journey. Don't even fear the dark messenger of death. God can be trusted to do as much for you as you were kind enough to do for me those so many years ago. At the end of the road, you'll find love. You'll find a welcome, waiting, safe place in God's care. I shall watch and pray for you till you're out of sight and then wait for the day when I shall make the same journey myself. 
I'll find you waiting at the end of the road. I know you'll greet me. My dear friends, if you walk with God, if you follow Jesus, you'll end up where he is. He ascended into heaven. He sat down at the right hand of God the Father. Our Heavenly Father is preparing a place for you. If we walk with God on this earth, we please God through faith in Him. That is what we have waiting for us at the end of the journey. A loving God will take us home to be with Him here today, gone tomorrow. I'm reminded today as our hearts grieve for a little seven-month-old boy who I held in my arms a few weeks ago and dedicated to the Lord that God's purpose for his life would be complete. I don't understand all the steps and the details, but I do know this. I believe he's in, safe in the arms of Christ. And some of you maybe all of us. When I'm thinking this morning of graduates, I'm thinking of young men and women who God has a plan for their life. And if they'll walk with God, they too have the hope and the promise of eternity in heaven. And in the meantime, everything that God plans and purposes for the life, that he'll see to it that it'll be accomplished according to his will. And you and I, we also have lived enough life, many of us, that there are loved ones who are on the other side. Absence from the body is presence with the Lord. The hard reality is we know they can't come back to us, but... Through faith in Jesus Christ, we can go where they are. I hope that your hearts are encouraged, that you would join me on the, on the road of faith with a man called Enoch, who walked with God, who pleased him by faith. You can please God through faith in Jesus Christ. So, Father, lead on, O King Eternal grateful for our Savior's love, we stand amazed in the presence of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, soon coming King, the one in whom we believe and put our faith, Jesus Christ. Thank you for joining us for this message from the Summit Church Podcast. Again, if you have questions, visit us at summitniles.com. Now go, be the church in the world.